Okay, morning. I'm, so I'm Steve, and we uh, we started the church last summer, and our main aim wasn't really to build a massive church. To a, we didn't want to create a big church. It wasn't just about the numbers. What we were really interested in is, is transforming our community, <coughs> transforming our city. And uh, we wanted to create big people, uh, not a big church. And so these things are just some part of our values, part of the things that we, we will constantly do. Uh, a few years ago, I had a picture of this eagle, and uh, eagle's got two wings. And one wing was this wing of compassion, that as a community of people that we could uh, demonstrate the love of God, be the hands and the feet of Jesus through compassionate ministry. And the other side was the supernatural, uh, demonstrating the power and the a dynamic work of the kingdom through all kinds of ways. And once those two things combine, I think there's a really, really powerful mix. And so we, as a church, if you uh, decide to be part of this church, this is what you're, you're buying into. We're going to be as compassionate as we can in our community, but also take risks uh, for God's kingdom. And uh, we, we've seen some amazing, amazing stories of, of God healing people out on the streets, in our communities, wherever we are. So uh, that's kind of what we're about as a church, and uh, unashamedly, we're going to be pushing both those Science, compassion, and supernatural as far as we can, as far as we can. Um, but today, uh, we, we've been thinking these last few weeks about faith, and I wanted to talk about faith in the gospel today. And so, my text, my readings today come from uh, Matthew 4, verse, verses 23 to 24, and then 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 19 to 22. I'm going to read, read out the scripture. The words are going to come on the screen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some at the back. Uh, have one, have a Bible on without compliments. So, uh, the first one, Matthew 4. Uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought him all who were ill various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Okay, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19, says, uh, Though I am free, I belong to no one. I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those having no law, I became like one not having the law. Though I am free from God's law, I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. This is the word of the Lord. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love. Um, this, this talk today is dedicated to uh, a man called Duncan Holthorpe. Duncan Holthorpe. It's, uh, he's to blame for me being here. He, he was a neighbour of mine. And so I'm dedicating this talk to him. We... 
we would, when I was about 14, 14 or 15, we, would, we were neighbours and our bedrooms backed onto each other. And we would lean at about half past ten most nights, we would lean outside of each other's windows and smoke. And I would try and flick the cigarettes over to our kind of opposite uh, neighbours so that my mum wouldn't find out I was smoking. Uh, and then I quickly sprayed the odor. <laughs> and uh, so Duncan and I, we would we would spend the year about a year just getting to know each other, just hanging out, and we would then go out together. We would do all kinds of things uh, in the park on a Friday night, as lots of teenagers do. And he he and I developed a really really close friend friendship. And then he told me about the church. He told me about. The thing that he does on a Sunday night, he goes to this youth camp called YPF. It's a Methodist young people's fellowship. And, and he invited me to come along to, to this evening. And I turned up, and there were loads of girls. <laughs> and it was awesome. It was brilliant. And uh, that's when I heard about Flirt to Convert. <laughs> and... Um, uh, one of the things I believe is if we can get the men, the rest will follow. If we can attract guys to church, uh, statistically, uh, guys who, who are converted are more likely to see their whole family converted. And so, uh, as a church, as a as a young man, I turned up in church. I turned up at the YPF. There were three guys and like fifteen young women. And so I came back the next week. <laughs> and then the week, week after, I didn't really know about Jesus. I just liked the company. And I quite liked a few of the girls there. So I, I came back and slicked my hair back. And, Did you uh, have curtains? I had curtains. Yeah, I had curtains. <laughs> I, I look really weird. Um, my son calls me fresh. Um, so I did look really fresh. And, um, but if... And so then I went on a, I went, they, he invited me to a concert, and there I heard about Jesus. And there I, I, had my, I had my drugs in my pocket, I had my cigarettes in my other pocket, and I, step, I stepped in front. Something led me to, to be converted. Some guy at the front said, if you want to know Jesus, come down the front. And for some reason, my body sort of dragged me down the front, and I was the only one that sort of walked down and... Um, and there I gave my drugs and I gave my cigarettes um, down at the front then and uh, I've never really looked back. Duncan and I, we, we, we then began a relationship of how do you find faith? How do you continue in faith, faith with Jesus? And so we continued to just hang out. He told me a bit more. Um, and then he decided that he didn't want, want to have faith anymore. He decided that that was enough. He'd, he'd had enough. But I was sort of getting more and more involved and enjoying following Jesus and getting involved in church. So, um, so today's talk is for Duncan. Today's talk. And I'll tell you a bit more about him later on. Uh, Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity is, a, is an organisation that runs orphanages. And I, I looked them up on their website. This is what they did. They run orphanages, AIDS hospices, charity centres across the world caring for refugees, Refugees, the blind, the disabled, the elderly, alcoholics, the poor and homeless, and victims of floods, epidemics, and famine. So it's a big charity. 
they work, they've worked with about 100,000 people. But Mother Teresa, she, um, uh, she put it that if she hadn't have picked up the first person who she'd seen on the street at death's door many years before, none of those 100,000 people would have been touched. If she hadn't have bent down and come down low and picked up that first person, none of, none of that charity would have done enough. Uh, and we believe, don't we, that the scope of the gospel is big enough to meet the scope of the universal need that the world has. But you and I maybe aren't called by God to do everything, but we're called to do something, aren't we? We're called to do just, let's do something. And today I just want to talk about the church that proclaims, demonstrates, and has faith in the gospel. Um, when you go into a coffee shop and uh, you pay, you might have my my phone. My um, my phone's full of business cards at coffee shops where I get buy buy eighteen, you get another one free. My, I'm full of, I've got loads of those cards. What the what the barista doesn't say is, excuse me, sir. I know you've enjoyed your coffee today. Can I give you a little handout of how you can tell others about this coffee shop? Uh, and what we've done is we've given you three steps to, to tell people, to share the good news of this coffee shops. And next time you come in, can you tell us how you've got on, how you've done with telling people about our coffee shops? They don't do that, do they? What we do is we like the coffee and we tell our friends. We don't have to have a four, four or five step program of preaching the good news of Brickwood in Ballon. <laughs> Um, and then you see, I don't know if people know Ballam, you see queues outside milk, yeah. queues and queues and queues of people outside milk, and, but they love it, they'll wait there for an hour just to have a squash seed, have some, and they'll just sit there, this is awesome, this is awesome. But somehow what we've done in Christianity is we've, we've limited evangelism to a step-by-step -step process of this is what you must do. And it becomes a bit more of a should rather than, you know, we've got good news to tell. Uh, that God is, he demonstrates compassion and he demonstrates the supernatural power. And, and we've got that. But often what we do in church is we say, let's go on a course to find out about how we can be evangelistic. <coughs> so I think in Christianity, there, we do have a swear word. And it is evangelism. We kind of get a bit sweaty, our palms get a bit sweaty. But um, I want to talk about evangelism. And, um, and I think evangelism isn't about our sole effort. Like, we've got to pounce, banzai. We've got to kind of go for people. Uh, it's not our solely our human effort. Rather, evangelism is about us partnering with God. And part of some of us, our overwhelming burden, uh, is that we think, we, we, we look at evangelism wrongly. We think that it's our responsibility to bring God to that godless person or that pagan or that, that person, you know, who's never been to church. It's our responsibility. That, that becomes a pretty daunting task. What I'm proposing today is this sort of paradigm shift. What if we change that paradigm? And what if we viewed evangelism not as our job to bring God to that person? 
What is it? What, what if we partner with God with what he's already doing? In other words, we are to join God, to join together with God concerning what God is already doing in that person or in that place. Um, John Wesley, the great founder of the Methodist uh, Church, he used this term called uh, prevalent grace, or prevenient grace, prevenient grace. And it's this uh, Christian theological concept. And what it's, what it's basically saying is that divine grace, it's the divine grace that precedes human decision. It exists prior to or without any reference to any human interaction. So it's basically saying the Holy Spirit's at work in a person before you've even got involved. What it's saying is that the Holy Spirit goes before us and it goes before the preaching of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is ready in individual hearts to receive and to be open to, uh, to the preaching or the telling the story or sharing. So, in other words, the Holy Spirit operates everywhere to prepare and to move people so that they may make a decision to decide for Christ. So, in my head, when I think about it now, I think, what is God already doing in a person's life that I might contribute to? What is God doing already that I might contribute to? So, when we go and pray for people on the, on the streets, when we do healing on the streets, we've, we've got a lot more relaxed. When we first started, we thought, I must, I've got to, I've got to heal 87 people today. Um, or I've got to give out 3,000 healing leaflets that we've got. And we've got a lot more relaxed about having to do that. Because it's not about us trying to force the kingdom of God. But it's about what is God doing. So time and time and time again, maybe you come out with us. Time and time and time again, we'll hear stories like, I came out of Sainsbury's, I normally turn right towards my car or I normally when I go to Sainsbury I normally go that way but something led me to come towards you and I I don't know why I'm here or we'll hear stories like um, um, I normally shop in Wandsworth but I felt as though I felt as though I should come to Ballon and somehow I've met you or just uh, just the other day a lady was uh, came from Starbucks across the road and she said, oh, I've seen you, I've seen you guys before. And uh, I said, well, would you like prayer? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I really would like prayer, I really would like prayer. And some of the words that we said to her was, was amazing. And, and Viv and another lady prayed for her. She said, it's like, um, you've given me a fresh, a glass of cold water that I didn't really know I needed. It's like you've refreshed me and I didn't realise I needed refreshing. So time and time again, we see the Holy Spirit bringing and drawing people to, to people. Uh, an evangelism pastor in a vineyard church, they, he was doing his dissertation about why people come to Christ. And he literally spent hours and hours and hours in, uh, in groups and with individuals, focus groups, finding out people who had just become Christians, why and how? Uh, and he carefully recorded people's stories. And after listening to the various things, one major theme emerged. And I found it quite interesting. And his, he, his summary was that many people came to Christ uh, at his church because of a life crisis. Because something was going on. 
and uh, Simon Ponsonby, who serves as the pastor of theology in St. Aldate's in Oxford. He talks about this, the Spirit's prevenient grace uh, that can be manifested either through a sudden disaster, something will happen, or uh, an affliction, someone's suddenly sick, and they'll be drawn to, they'll be thinking about their mortality, or some kind of remarkable change or deliverance, something remarkable that's happened in their life that can only be explained by, by God. Or observing other Christians. What's going on in other Christians' lives? And the last one is, is a direct conviction of sin. And that was definitely for me. Suddenly I realised that the things I've been doing in the past weren't right, weren't things I should be doing. And that's why I said, okay, I can give... I can give all of that stuff to Jesus because that stuff is wrong. So, when we meet a person in crisis, it's very possible that someone's exhausted their own uh, resources for for their human effort. They've exhausted everything that they can they can do themselves, and that's when often the Holy Spirit's at work in that individual, preparing that person to receive the gospel. Um, but also, what, what I've been noticing, what we've been noticing, is that we don't have to fail to be in a crisis. Some of us who were here last week and heard Tequila Simon's story about this ache of success and this ache to find happiness, and she couldn't find happiness through material things or her house or her home or how she looked. And so this emptiness of, happy, of, of wanting to be successful but not happy led her to Jesus. And so when we're talking about personal evangelism, I'm talking about how we live our lives and how we treat people. Our lives may be the only Bible that people ever read. You might be the only person that represents Jesus to them. They might never ever pick up a Bible or read, read about Jesus. They'll read you. They'll look at you as, as the examples. Do you remember the, the early church? The, the term was Christians, came about as li little Christs. They were little, they were little Jesus, they were little models of what Jesus was like. And so that's how the term Christians came about, because they were little Christs. Christians were little Christs. Um, so uh, I want to just tell you five or six things of, about personal evangelism, and as quickly as I can. Uh, I apologise for my off-piste moments, but you get them for free. So, <laughs> um, so first and foremost, number one, love matters. First thing to remember is that love matters. God's already his burning heart of love for people, and throughout the Bible, if we take the Bible. And as we read it, you'll notice this golden thread, this thread of love, this meta-narrative that there is in the Bible. The story of God is the story of his love for, for people. And from the first page to the last page, you'll see this thread of love woven in there, that God loved us. And the most famous scripture, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so this whole idea of love comes from the heart of God. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us, it compels us, it motivates us, 
because we are convinced that one died for all. And we're not saved because we're moral. We're not saved um, because of that. And people aren't going to be condemned. Uh, we're not going to be saved because we're moral. People are not, not going to be condemned because they are immoral. We are saved based on where we stand in Christ. That's the, that's the only reason. And is there an issue, and a bit of a challenge really, is there an issue for you building a, a bridge or a relationship with someone who you may term as immoral? I don't know. Is there an issue that gets in the way uh, that doesn't allow Jesus to walk across, across you to that person? Maybe it's someone's sexual orientation. Maybe it's the fact that they're living with someone who's not their spouse. Maybe they've had a baby born out of wedlock. I've got no idea. These are all some of it. Maybe it's their immigration status. Uh, maybe it's their political views. Maybe it's how they spend the money. Maybe it's how much they drink or how much they smoke. God's challenge to us, I think, is will you still love them? Will you still love that person? Will you still reach out to them? Will you still share the good news with them? Um, and there's no way we can ever be compelled to tell people about Jesus unless it's motivated by love. That's the number one thing, motivated by love. Um, and there are loads of cliches flying around Christendom at the moment about love. So some of the American phrases are, I just want to love on them. I don't know whether it translates very well in the UK. Um, but I get it. I get that, you know, I just want to love that person. I just want to show and demonstrate I love the person. Or uh, I love the phrase, just love the one that stands in front of you. What can I do to that person in front of me? How can I love them? One of the things that we've been doing in our small group last term was for new people that joined us, we were asking God, how does heaven see them? So before we kind of built up a, a thought or got to know them, we were asking God, what does he say about them? And so we were getting God's view of, of that individual uh, before we sort of got to know them. So then that could be our foundation for, for knowing that person. For some of the people that we find difficult getting along with, whenever, whenever you get people together, there's going to be conflict. Whenever there's fa you know, families together, there's going to be conflict. Um, what, how does heaven feel about that individual? How does heaven view people? How does heaven think about them? And that's one great way to, to ask God, how can I love that person? How does heaven see them? Okay, so that's, that's number one. Love matters. Number two, prayer matters. If you want to share your faith with others, uh, the, per the first person to talk to is God. And evangelism begins with prayer. The best evangelists I know are huge prayers. They love prayer. And as Christians, we, we've had, had so many sermons and stories about prayer. Um, but isn't it often that prayer is our last resort? That's the thing that we've, we've noticed and we're, we're noticing. We say, you know, I've tried everything. I've tried everything else I can think of. I've argued with them. I've nagged. I've manipulated. I've, um, I've done all kinds of things. And since none of that's worked, the last thing I'll do is I'll pray. Um, and, I, and I know for each one of you, there's a, there's a story of prayer that's gone behind you. My hunch is, and this is my, what I get to 
get to see is that you being here is a result of someone else praying for you. It's time and time again. The only reason why you're sat here if you follow Jesus is because someone, someone has prayed for you without maybe even knowing about it. Or if you've never ever, never ever thought about following Jesus and you're here today, I guarantee someone's praying for you. Or multitude of people are praying for you. Um, and so we are here as a result of prayer. So I am here as a result of Duncan talking to me and inviting me, but also a whole catalogue of people praying for me as well. So prayer matters. Prayer is where it all begins. And for many of us who are Christians, um, we're here because people have, people have praying for you. Uh, another sort of awkward moment. Do you, do you pray for people that are far from God? Do you regularly pray for, pray for people that are far from God? And uh, I really want to encourage you, pray. Pray for them. Pray for them. Prayer matters. Okay, so love matters. Prayer matters. Third one, proximity matters. Uh, even the most incredible evangelists, gifted evangelists, will be utterly ineffective in reaching people for Jesus unless, she gets, unless he or she gets near them. Um, and one of, the, one of the things that I'm noticing is that I'm getting further and further. I, I see so many Christians and think about Christianity so much that I'm getting further and further away from people that need Jesus. And one of the challenges for us is, you know, Jesus says, I will build my church. He says that about himself. And your job is to make disciples. One of the things I keep hearing Jesus saying is, don't get them muddled up. Don't think it's Stephen Bibb's job to build a church and Jesus can make disciples. It's, my, it's our, our role to make disciples and let Jesus build, let Jesus build his church. Um, and so the further, further, the longer we are Christians as well, you'll notice the, the, the longer you've been a Christian, the further and further away you'll get from un unbelievers. Uh, which is why new believers and new followers of Jesus, they're the best people to, to help share what's been going on to, to, to Christian, to, to unchristian as well. So it's an interesting thing. How close, what's the proximity we have to people? Okay, let's move on. Number four, your story matters. One of the greatest testimonies that we have and the reality of the gospel is you. This is something really incredible and it's something really powerful about you sharing your story about how you came to Jesus or how you are beginning to come to Jesus or how now you're, you're heading towards Jesus even more. Uh, we've got the great example, haven't we, about the blind man in John 9, where Jesus, he heals the blind man. So this man had no theology training. He wasn't given a three-step pamphlet about sharing the gospel. Uh, but he does do one thing right. He testifies about what Jesus has done in, in his life. And so we get the Pharisees in response. The Pharisees are saying, who is this man? Who is, who is he? Who is he? And the blind man says, oh, I don't really know. I don't know whether he's a sinner. I don't know whether he's good. But I was blind and now I can see. I don't, I don't quite know the arguments, but I was blind and I can see. Or it might be people saying, I was a drug addict. But Jesus set me free. I used to be addicted to porn, but Jesus healed me. I was unmarried and got pregnant. I'm not saying about myself. <laughs> I was unmarried and got 
For example, I was married and got pregnant and planned an abortion, but in the middle of it, God suddenly interrupted my plans. And now I have an incredible boy. And I have a relationship with God. Or another one, I used to live for myself. For money, for my satisfaction. But Jesus, uh, Jesus rescued me. And now he uses me to love others. Or your story, my marriage uh, was in a shambles. It used to be in a shambles. We, we were definitely planning a divorce, but Jesus has brought you life to my marriage. What's your story? What's your story? What's, what's your story? If you have a relationship with Christ, how did you come to him? How has your life changed because of Jesus? And if you've never shared your story with anyone, or feel a little bit nervous about doing it, a great thing to do is to practice with some of the people here. Is to practice telling your story with, with some Christians. And so this week, this is my, I don't want to say challenge, or some people say activation, some people homework. say... Homework. Homework. Some people say all kinds of things. Homework. This is my homework. Um, tell, tell three people this week your story of how you came to Jesus. Tell three people your story. It could be, you could do it two minutes after him. How did you come to Jesus? So as we get practice of telling your story with our with people that you feel safe with, you can then uh, begin telling other people. So, love matters, prayer matters, proximity matters, your story matters. Next one, your invitation matters. There's a great story in John chapter 4 about Jesus and his interaction with the woman at the well. The woman is so moved by this, this encounter that she has with Jesus. She, it describes she leaves the water jar went back to her town and said to the people, come, come and see a man who knew everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? Come and see. And they came out and made their way towards him. And after, encount so after encountering Jesus, she went back to her town and invited people to everyone to say, come and see, come and see. And because of her invitation, we're told that multitudes, many, many, many people in the town was saved, just from, from those three words, come and see, come and see. Um, another story, I think we've got the words, in John, John 1, I'm just going to read this out, the next day Jesus decided uh, to leave Galilee, finding Philip, he said to him, follow me, Philip, like Andrew and Peter were from the town of Bethsaida, Philip found Nathanael and told him, we've found the one, Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. And Jesus said, I saw you while you were under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathaniel then declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I wonder whether if um, Philip hadn't said to Nathaniel, come and see, whether he'd be in heaven. I wonder for my own life if Duncan Holthorpe hadn't said to me, come and, come and see, come and come check out Jesus, if uh, I wouldn't be here. And uh, so I'm this is dedicated to him. He is now far away from God, and we met about 10 years ago in a pub randomly. And uh, he's, he, he, and 
we both talked, we both cried, and he said, I just, I've given up on God. And I was doing my best. No, look at what you've done. And he said to me, I, I think uh, the reason why I became Christian was for you, so that you could become Christian. And uh, it was really painful. This discussion was really painful because he was totally given up to God, but he recognised that God had helped him to save me. And uh, so I'm grateful for Duncan. I'm so grateful for him. I'm grateful for his life. Um, but if he hadn't have invited me, if he hadn't said those three words, come and see, come and see. And what we hear, like with Nathaniel, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from Balanvinyard? Can anything good come from what you believe? Can anything good come from Jesus? Come and see. So I, w- I want to kind of in- invite you and encourage you to invite people to, uh, to church, invite people to church. We have an Alpha course starting in May. This is a great time to say to people, come and see. Come and see what's, see what's going on. We have a launch party on the 27th of April at Hagen and Hyde in Ballon, just a stone's throw from, from the tube station. There's going to be live music and uh, burgers and beer, I think, all kinds of things. So just invite people, just come, come and see, come and see. Okay, so, and the last, last thing is, um, is just prayer, as we go back to prayer. You may feel like nothing's happening with the people around you. Maybe you've been praying for your, your friends or your family for years, and you feel discouraged. Maybe it's, um, it just feels like nothing's happening. You've tried everything you can. You've tried and you've tried. Part of the, the thing for us is faithfulness. This last thing, faithfulness. Maybe you've been reaching out at work, and you feel like nothing's happening. Uh, keep going. Really keep going. Don't give up. Never stop sharing. The truth of the matter is, just because you can't see something with your eyes, the Holy Spirit's always at work. He's always doing something. The Holy Spirit's always doing something. We believe that for ourselves, that God's always doing something with us, and he's made everyone fearfully and wonderfully made, that his eyes and his hands are around every single human being. Keep going. Keep going. So let's, uh, let's stand and, and let's just finish with prayer. And uh, I wanted to kind of give this time to dedicate to those uh, of our friends. And so we're going to just have a time of, of prayer for our friends and our family. Uh, Billy Graham, he, uh, he's an amazing evangelist. He's probably led uh, millions and millions of people to, to faith. And he said this uh, about five or six years ago. My mind tells me I ought to get out there and go, but I just can't do it. But I'll preach until there's no breath left in my body. I was called by God, and until God tells me to retire, I cannot. Whatever strength I have, whatever time God lets me have, I'm going to be dedicated to do the work of an evangelist as long as I live. So let's pray. So, Father, I bless these uh, wonderful people that you've, you've made and you've created. Whatever their story is, uh, we pray a huge blessing on them. I, we release now opportunities in their workplaces, in 
their homes and their neighbourhoods and their, at university, at school, wherever they are, a release opportunity, God appointments, divine encounters. And I'll ask the Holy Spirit to reveal five people this week that they can pray for. People that may be far from God, maybe people that are going through a crisis, maybe people that uh, God you put on their mind. Even that Holy Spirit just reveals some people that they can pray for. Thank mm-hmm. you.